0: Welcome to Green and Red, Scrappy Politics for Scrappy People, a regular podcast on radical environmental and anti-capitalist politics, brought to you by Bob Bazanka and Scott Parkin.
1: Welcome to the silky smooth sounds of the Green and Red podcast. I'm your co-host Scott Parkin uh, in Berkeley, California today. And Bob is off on assignment, but we'll be back soon. Uh, But today we are gonna be talking about a a topic that actually Bob and I have worked on a lot, which is uh, around anti-war organizing. Uh, And then also today's conversation will be about how anti-war organizing intersects with environmental and climate organizing. And so joining us today is Teddy Ogborn, uh, who is an organizer with Code Pink. Teddy is Code Pink's War Is Not Green coordinator. Uh, Teddy's based in New York City, uh, has several years of experience in documentary storytelling, strategic organizing, direct action, you know how we love direct action on the Green and Red podcast, uh, particularly with climate actions in New York and New Jersey. Uh, And we're gonna talk today a bit about the intersection of militarism and climate change. So Teddy, welcome to the Green and Red podcast.
0: Thank you so much, Scott, for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Yeah. And just a little background, the the rise of militarism and, and the climate crisis are intertwined. The U.S. military is the world's largest consumer and causes more greenhouse gas emissions than 140 nations combined. Uh, and then there's there's a whole bunch of, you know, stats and numbers around how much money the Pentagon spends every year and the contracts it does with private weapon companies, which we've covered extensively on the show. Um, but maybe we could start off a little bit with, could you just go into uh, how war and the climate crisis are intertwined. Just give us a little bit deeper background on just more than just what I said. So,
0: No, for sure. Um, yeah, and thank you. And, and listen, they, they could not be more intertwined. And the fact that we even need to be having this conversation at this stage in the climate crisis, we'll call it that, is insane to me. Um, We cannot stop the climate crisis if we do not work towards demilitarization. Um, And yet I still get questions from people within my local climate organizing uh, and across the country who say, oh, well, what does war have to do with the climate? And it has everything to do with the climate. I mean, just like you said, the US military is the planet's single biggest consumer of oil. Uh, and it doesn't stretch the imag- imagination uh, to then realize it is the largest emitter institutionally of greenhouse gases on the planet. And so, yes, we need to be talking about demilitarization, especially of the U.S. military when we're talking about uh, climate change and addressing the climate crisis that we're in. Um, it's also an environmental justice issue. And when I talk about environmental justice uh, versus climate change, what I'm talking about is um ways to address equity, equitability for uh, largely uh, people of color, disadvantaged people across the world that are suffering as a result of the exploitative systems that uh, dominant, uh, the dominant hegemony has created for them on environmental grounds. Um, and so what you're looking at there is also severe environmental injustices caused by the U.S. military, um, such as uh, the U.S. military occupies 30% of the nation island of Guam uh, and use its main aquifer as a shooting range. Um, PFAS, Forever Chemicals, leak from nearly every single of the uh, US military's 800 military bases worldwide, uh, largely into communities that can't do anything about it because the the Pentagon, um, is uh, essentially, it it has riddled the EPA with loopholes uh, through which they fly uh, constantly. Um, And so when we're talking about the fact that indigenous people on this planet are its greatest defender of natural resources, of the forests, of the climate itself, and the fact that our military continues to colonize them, continues to kill them and poison them, uh, yes, the, the climate crisis and the environmental crisis are deeply intertwined with US militarism.
1: What are the numbers on how much uh, greenhouse gas emissions are coming from, you know, the Defense Department, the Pentagon, what have you?
0: Yeah, so that is itself a a hairy question because they are able to hide those numbers quite well. They don't report them. They actually don't have to. Um, Since the 1995 Kyoto Protocol, so this was the equivalent at the time of the United Nations uh, Conference on Climate Change in Kyoto, the United States worked very, very hard to, uh, to exclude military emissions from the counting of emissions uh, globally. And of course, many other imperial nations uh, celebrated that decision. They don't want to count their emissions. They don't want to limit their military capacity as they see it uh, by um, having to stay under certain carbon limits. And so those numbers have been obfuscated very, very intentionally. Um, But uh, you have um, this really fantastic academic researcher named Dr. Nita Crawford from Brown, Um, And she's done a lot of landmark work on this. And using uh, data from the Department of Energy, she's calculated roughly that the US military has emitted 1.2 billion metric tons of greenhouse gases into the atmosphere since the 2001 war on terror, or I I should say the beginning of that war on terror. Um, That figure is staggering. It is causing apocalyptic levels of global warming. Uh, Like you said, it is greater than the emissions of most nations. Um, And again, we're working with uh, researchers. This isn't self-reporting. We're working with researchers using all the information that they have at their disposal. One of the first steps actually that we talk about uh, when we talk about decarbonizing the military, which is the same thing as demilitarization, uh, in my opinion, um, is we need to start making them count these emissions. This is is something that comes up every year uh, at the annual conference of the parties on climate, um, the COP. Um, that we need, we absolutely need to start counting military emissions. And of course, the countries that often, oftentimes, uh, kind of hold court at COP, such as the U.S., unfortunately, um, continue to batter away those those concerns and those demands because it is, of course, not in their imperial interest.
1: Yeah, and I, I just want to also point out for like our listeners is that since two thousand and one, we've had four different presidents, different administrations. You know, we had Bush, who was a, a climate denier, but we had Obama, and we've had Biden, who are uh, you know, climate supposedly climate champions, and, and we've not seen any sort of shift from the the amount of emissions coming from the Department of Defense. Uh, you know, whether we've had a Democrat or Republican in office, is that right?
0: That's absolutely true. Um, and I think the key word there is supposed uh, climate believers, right? I mean, yeah. uh, I always you know, I always
1: say it, you know, with a, you know, tongue in cheek when I talk about them being good in any way. So
0: of course, of course, right? But it's it's. You know, it just continues to drive home the the irony, the terrible, horrifying, perilous irony of all of their statements on climate change. I mean, that's part of why Joe Biden got into office and trying to secure Gen Z votes, because young people in particular are very concerned about their future as as they should be. Right. You know, I'm I'm here in Brooklyn uh i'm on technically i'm on the island of long island i go to manhattan often that's also an island and this is where these major financial institutions which uh, we'll we'll get to in a sec, i i'm sure yeah. that are funding these military contractors <laughs> reside and they're on sinking islands that are going to continue to pay the price for the climate crisis um yeah i mean these I, I, any president over the past um you know since we've Uh, The general public has begun to take climate change seriously that says that they understand the severity of the crisis um, has proven themselves to 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 be lying. They don't understand it. Otherwise, they would act on it.
1: Before we get into a couple of questions I have around contractors and and financial institutions, I have one other question. Big question around like, you know, the uh, around the government and the Pentagon is what has organizing looked like on trying to get the Pentagon to address their their carbon footprint?
0: Yeah, um, so you have um, all kinds of coalitions that are taking different approaches. For example, you have the F-35 coalition. Um, which uh, one of our national directors, Danica Katowicz, does an excellent job of of helping to organize. Um, This is a national, in fact, an international coalition. I think of over 230 plus orgs that are saying, we do not need the F-35 jet developed by Lockheed Martin uh, for a slew of reasons. It's costing taxpayers trillions and trillions of dollars. It's nuclear capable, which of course is, uh, you know, on the climate side, the ultimate environmental tragedy is nuclear holocaust. but the the emissions on these things are insane and absolutely um, I think it's it's like I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it's like hundreds of thousands of gallons or hundreds of thousands of. Uh, tons of carbon per uh, like week in use or something like that, I mean it's it's far more than its predecessor, but it's meant to be more uh, technically capable and then. Yeah, you also, of course, have people trying to leverage that international pressure. So, for example, this last November around Armistice Day, which coincided with the Conference of the Parties, I joined with Veterans for Peace, uh, which has a really robust uh, climate campaign because they're really on it with this issue. They know that not only does the increased militarism around the world not lead to more safety, but leads to more war. You know, it's not a thinker, um, but it's causing uh greater and greater amounts of suffering and mass death, to put it plainly and factually, uh, on account of its, its carbon emissions. And so um, this is a part of a growing effort uh, at the conference of the parties uh, internationally um, to put that pressure. Um, and you know, one of those big steps that's been taken is uh, at every COP you have um, sort of, uh, you, you have events and votes that are on the actual agenda. These are decisions that um, are you know are resolutions that each country will take back and attempt to commit to, although they're not as binding as we would like. And then you have side events. Uh, unfortunately, counting military missions isn't yet on the agenda at COP, but that's what we're pushing for every time. Um, we've had some great success uh, this last year. Um, there were side events uh, on the agenda at COP, which. Um, You know, it sounds small, but the conversation is happening, it's growing, Uh, activists are being incredibly vocal, it's undeniable at this point what's happening. Um, And so, uh, yeah, the US military, uh, people across the globe knows what the US military is doing to them in terms of colonization, increased militarization, and now especially in terms of the climate crisis.
1: The other thing that that I think about is like, I work in environmental world, I work in environmental NGO world, I, I don't feel like I actually hear the big green groups talking about this that much. And and uh, we had Medea on the show back in December, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and she was actually talking She We had her on to talk about war in Ukraine, and she was she actually said that there were some initiatives that Code Pink was pushing to try and get like environmental groups to yeah. you know do a sign on letter against the war in Ukraine. But I'm, I'm kind of curious about are, are you addressing this with some of the bigger green groups like, you know, the big ones like Sierra Club or League of Conservation Voters or Environmental Defense? And and what has the response been? If you have,
0: yeah, no, I, I thanks for bringing that up too. So that that has been a um, a long running uh, campaign through my time at Code Pink um, as working to get these big greens to sign onto this letter. The letter essentially calls uh, for uh, increased negotiations, uh, a, a sincere attempt uh, at pushing negotiations from the U.S. Uh, in Ukraine um, on environmental grounds. I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, we've talked already about uh, military missions, of course, but, uh, you know, you have decades of unarable farmland as a result of this war. You have some estimates as like 50,000 dolphins in the Black Sea have washed up on shore. Um, and
1: A a nuclear plant which is being used as a shield.
0: Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. And this, uh, the, these are costs that uh, apparently some people are willing to accept, risks that some people are willing to take. And so the the letter was made to um, was written to make it abundantly clear that this is not something that we can afford. And this is one of uh, many many reasons that this concerns the entire planet. Um, the the actual process of asking groups to sign onto the letter was, I think, a microcosm of the very reason that my position exists: is that we we do need to push for this. Even the basic understanding around military missions and environmental injustice caused by the military uh, to pervade the environmental movement, to pervade the climate movement. Because, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think oftentimes I, I would I would run into uh, the obstacle of the, the letter being considered too geopolitical, too, too political in itself um, uh, for groups to sign on to. Um, but when you're writing it, writing a letter for peace or, for uh, on environmental grounds, it, it feels pretty straightforward. I mean, it's not drawing party lines. You're saying we we want the deaths to stop both because of the war itself um, as quickly as possible, uh, if possible, and then we want uh, these these catastrophic emissions um, to to end as a result of the war. Um, and so you know, in some ways I understand groups that have whether their tactic is more on the legislative side, uh, whether they have connections to to politicians. I mean, it, the issue in, in some ways is largely rooted in the politicization of the war itself um, which you know which is, has been an absolute you know mind f to even understand um, you know how we got to where we did. Um, but yeah, so it, it has been a real slog to, to get those letter sign-ons, um, for that. And I think what, what we're learning with the campaign is that there's some really basic education that needs to be done to build some momentum, build a sense of urgency around this issue. Cause like I said, you can't solve climate change. I mean, you can't address climate change meaningfully, I should say, if you're not addressing militarism. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It, it just, you know, there's a, there's like a politic around the war and, in ukraine which we've actually brought up on this show quite a bit we actually had a whole series on it once the war started last year where we mm-hmm. you know identified a group of people who in the past have been called nato intellectuals or nato hawks we call them actually nato liberals and it's the sort of like pro-war wing of the democratic party which is like a big chunk of it and it, it seems like that some of the bigger green groups which are like very tied in with the democratic party don't want to come out and criticize the war uh because they don't want to you know offend their their political benefactors and it's just it's just like an interesting dynamic and and it's like a campaign in itself to sort of go after you know i, I would also suspect that like a lot of people in those organizations are ones who have like ukraine flags in their on on bumper stickers and and, and things along those lines as well like they're they're anti they want to do something about the climate crisis yet they you know are, are like at least tacitly supporting an effort which is contributing to it significantly.
0: Right, right, and you know what? I I do have uh, empathy and sympathy for people that are uh, of that mind. That, that you know, I I think that there are uh, so many reasons, whether they're they're personal, familial, or because you live in the United States of America with the media that we have, um, for that that folks might be reluctant. I think to um, to deviate at all from. Um, you know, the, that mainstream approach to to the war in Ukraine. I think that the fact of the matter is, and, and my focus and what was really interesting to me with the Letter itself was, you know, it doesn't propose itself any solutions. It's saying to push for negotiations, which is an option at this juncture, right? Yeah. Um, it's not saying anything about, um, you know, the, you know, geopolitics, Crimea, uh, territorial concessions, things like that. You know, these, these are things that... Um, you know, I, I, I myself, with, within this work, uh, specifically for, for you know, on, on this climate camp, um, it's not my focus. My focus is military emissions. Um, and, and so I think it was interesting for, for myself to run up against um, some of those contradictions and to, and to think a little bit thoroughly about like how, how best to approach that. And I think you're right um, in many ways, uh, you know, about the allegiances of the Democratic Party and thus uh, oftentimes the um, the orgs that uh, earn their vote or provide their vote.
1: Yep, endorse them, you know, do or not for them, all of that sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, um, just to shift it a little bit, you know, there's a there's a pretty huge um budget at the pentagon around private contractors right and so we like lockheed martin you know um uh, uh raytheon companies like companies like that and the other the other trend that we see in in, in corporate america is everyone at least has like a, a purpose statement of some sort around the climate crisis right they have social justice purpose statements they have they have mm. them around the climate crisis because you know, there's been an effective climate movement targeting corporations for the last couple of decades on that. And I'm wondering if you could just like, is your work overlapping with the sort of greenwash that's happening, you know, in within the private contractor sector connected to the Pentagon? In the in the, It's actually literally the military industrial complex.
0: Of course, yeah. Um, I mean, the, yeah, the, the goal of the campaign in many ways is to call it out at every turn, because the greenwashing is, you know, covering these companies in bullshit that's that's what their strategy is um to to avoid any kind of regulation to avoid any kind of accountability and so i mean like i remember even before i was a climate activist just always oh, watching this video of obama unveil like a, a new bomber and he was saying this thing's gonna be powered by corn by ethanol yeah <laughs> and yeah that's exactly it's what, ultra- what i'm talking what i'm talking about there's a lot of memes that talk about this too. yeah <laughs> Right. And and this was before I really, you know, felt like I did have any kind of political consciousness, consciousness. But I was like, this is actually crazy. How are people falling for this? Like, there's, there's no way that we're not going to bomb people more cleanly out of our way, our way out of the climate crisis. Um, And that's, that's essentially the claim that they're, that they're making, you know, all of these companies, they're tech companies, right? They, they, they can't pretend to not understand the science behind the climate crisis, which is abundantly clear now to even, you know, people without, you know, uh, degrees in the subject. And so they do have to, do a little bit of contortion to say, you know, oh, like, they love to use the phrase carbon intensity, for example, you know, the carbon intensity has gone down this many percent in the last five years. It's like, okay, well, what you're talking about with carbon intensity, usually, uh, is just the amount of carbon it takes for you to create the product, or in the case of fossil fuel industries, to extract your fuel, right? What they're not covering is what's called scope three emissions, which um, scope one and scope two emissions cover, you know uh, the, the emissions involved with the product and the materials as they're being, um, I, I suppose, delivered to the site but also constructed uh, and extracted. Scope three is what happens when that thing, whether it's uh, fuel, tons of coal, or uh, you know F35 jet, leaves the facility and of course that's where the bulk of the emissions is coming from is when the u.s military is flying this thing around popping balloons uh and you know causing <laughs> insane emissions and 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 killing people by the climate bombing, bombing civilians you know exactly right so so to simply not count that is is misleading at best it's also just ridiculous and it should should be the easiest thing to call out
1: so uh I'm kind of curious, if, have, have y'all been doing organizing and actions on some of these contractors specifically? Is there any particular company which you've singled out and tried to sort of move or uh, bring about any sort of shift?
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, Code Pink has a long history with this. Um, most recently, like I, like I said, this F thirty five coalition has done amazing work both at um, disrupting uh, airfields, um, which you know are welcoming in these new jets. In Lockheed Martin itself, uh, we recently had a disruption also at the Northrop Grumman um, major weapons uh, manufacturer um, annual shareholder meeting. Um, and and we call them out every single year uh, at their at their shareholder meetings for the same thing yeah hey folks
1: you're listening to the green and red podcast where we interview guests like noam chomsky and andrew basevich we also have shows on cultural icons like john cash and Woody guthrie and the godfather movies, and we talk to scores of organizers and activists who tell us what is happening in the streets and in the back country so Check us out. Yeah, and I'm Bob Azenko, And as always, uh, Scott and I want to thank you for listening, for watching, for supporting us. uh, And we hope we continue to do that. The first thing we ask is that you share this, let people know that we're out there and we're doing something that I think is different. We have a good niche, I think, in left podcast. And uh, we talk to really cool people uh, about really important issues. Um, Follow us on uh, Twitter, Instagram and Facebook um go to our webpage which is on uh in the screen and uh um you know if you really like us and if you have a a, a little uh, extra change around um jingles or folds uh uh you can help us out by going to our website at greenandredpodcast.org and hitting that support button and make a one time donation or you can check us out at patreoncom backslash greenredpodcast and become a patron uh, we'll see you again real soon. And so it's gonna, I'm going to shift a little bit to, to um, the, the other corporate sector here, which is, is kind of timely and relevant. Uh, mm-hmm. And so this week is the, the BlackRock shareholders meeting. I know that Code Pink has had a, a long standing campaign against BlackRock. I actually do a lot of uh, bank, climate bank campaigning myself over the years. And I'm, I'm kind of curious maybe just tell us a little bit about. How is BlackRock, which is a a huge you know private finance institution? um how are what is their role in this?
0: Yeah. well, um as you said, Copink has a longstanding we'll say relationship with BlackRock uh, on its funding of of war crimes and weapons manufacturers. And actually before I came to Code Pink, I was, you know i've I've been and continue to be a, a local. Um, local based climate organizer here in New York. And so my very first climate actions were at BlackRock. I mean, we are uniquely positioned in this city uh, to target one of the planets, arguably the planet's biggest uh, funder of the climate crisis. And that's both through militarism and fossil fuels. I mean, this company continues to hold. And uh, and also
1: things like agriculture too, like they're big funders of like Brazilian agriculture industry, for example.
0: Yeah, of course. I mean, their 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 investment platform is morally bankrupt, and they use all kinds of language to um, to take a passive voice around that, as though they don't they don't manage it. Um, but they, they could if 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 they were to take uh, actual strides and uh, sticking to their word and the word of their CEO Larry Fink, they could have uh, real impact in partially decarbonizing the global economy to to a great degree. Um, I mean, this is a company that is second only to the U.S and China, in terms of the financial power that it wields, right? This is a private company, and it's second only to the U.S. and China. It not public, and
1: million. just for audience, it's not publicly traded. It's not publicly traded on the stock market. It's privately.
0: Right, right. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's. I mean, it's it's just stunning the amount of power that it wields. Um, and so of course they have power over uh their own business operations. Um, but they're you know if if their CEO where you think. As a catchphrase it's we are a fiduciary to our clients which is code for we don't call the shots like our it's it's just our uh our our, our investors pulling the trigger um but of course they manage those 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 uh, those platforms and those portfolios and they've proven that they do so um in 2020 um think Uh, wrote his annual letter to investors and he said climate risk is investment risk. He was highlighting the fact that trillions of dollars are going to be lost in the coming years because of the climate crisis and so that we need to adapt uh, for financial reasons. Of course, he wasn't mentioning the mass death that's going to be uh, a result of the climate crisis, but that seemed to be on track. People had a bit of hope that maybe we were going to be decarbonizing the financial industry a little bit, the financial sector. And he pulled a quick 180. I mean, both as a result of the war in Ukraine, uh, profits during the pandemic, and now uh, ESG's environmental, uh, social and governance investing, entering sort of the culture wars and those being re- leveraged by Republicans. Just to talk
1: about that bit, BlackRock is one of the companies that's singled out by the, the far right around being like woke Wall Street, right? Is that correct? Right? <laughs>
0: that is correct and it's laughable yeah. for
1: someone like yeah. me yeah 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 ex- yeah exactly i mean i think it's a it's it's i 2023 in, in many ways politics is just like a big joke like 20 years ago we never like imagined being where we're at right now as far as like the okay. cultural war stuff goes and but but the far right actually targets you know some of these financial institutions because they actually don't like esgs i think they're trying to pass at least in some state legislatures they're trying to pass anti-esg laws uh they they're definitely have been like, now that we have a house of representatives, that's barely controlled by the Republicans They, you know, they're having hearings on this. And I'm just wondering what, what are your, as someone who campaigns against BlackRock, you know, um, on climate and militarism, like, you know, what are, what are your thoughts on that? Like, and, and, and this actually ties into a question I also have, which is like, you know, the, the right has actually been much more outspoken on some issues of war and empire of late more than, even an anti-war left. And so I'm just kind of curious how you feel like that all is connected.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's all about political interest and ultimately wealth. I mean, sure, the right has like a different take from the left on the war in Ukraine, but they want to go to war with China <laughs> and they're all invested uh, in, these, uh, in these contractors, right? They, I don't think, uh, you know, people on the far right are, you know, so much less pugilistic just because of some of the things that they've said to oppose themselves uh, across. And, and none, of, none of
1: none the individuals would ever take a military base out of their district. You know,
0: just yeah, certainly the not. Certainly district. not. So, I mean, so yeah, it's, you know, um, I, and, and personally, I, I, I I find uh, you know em- embracing people on the far right simply for saying the the most basic anti-war quote 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 talking point uh, to be a mistake uh, for anti-war activists. But um, they you know the right has has succeeded in in, in bringing quote unquote woke investing, see, I'm even having to use their term, into the culture wars, um, and that pressure uh, has has paid off for them, unfortunately. I think that's a major reason why Larry Fink, for example, backed off um, on his pledges uh, to reduce coal investments, for example, and why he has to come out um, uh, very carefully whenever he uh, is talking about ESG investments. because he's he's worried about losing business, he's worried about losing political sway, which, mind you, BlackRock has in spades, um, and and so yeah, it is it is a very unfortunate reality that we have to push up against. As uh, a leftist climate organizer myself, this is absurd and 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 frustrating. I go insane thinking about this because no, like we are not. We I've had people at at a BlackRock action I was at recently. Someone on social media said, oh. Oh, well, all these activists were paid by Fink to make it appear as though he's he's uh, you know responding to the left or that he's you know it's it's absolute BS. They are they continue to be the biggest funder of the climate crisis for so many reasons, and that's why we're out there all the time. Um, and so you know to to paint them as being woke is 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 ridiculous, and it would be funny if it were in like a TV script or a, a movie, but it's my life. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah, mine too. I, I mean, I'm. I know that there's a lot of activism going on in New York. New York, groups like New York Communities for Change and and so on have been like targeting yeah. BlackRock quite quite a bit. And I'm and I'm curious, you know, how much you're collaborating with them, how how much you're coordinating with them.
0: Oh, all the time. Um, we're. Uh, I'll be at their annual shareholders meeting tomorrow morning uh, with New York Communities for Change. Um, and uh, they're yeah, they're they're fantastic organizers. I love working with them. Um, and what what's really special about them, I think is you know they are a grassroots member-based organization and they uh, their members largely consist of low-income people of color in New York City who um, have seen the the brunt of the climate crisis uh, in New York City, have lost people to it. Um, and so uh, the way that they're able to really deftly connect, what these financial institutions housed here in New York are doing to the climate, then come back and affect the most vulnerable New Yorkers, I think, is 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 right on the money. I mean, it's an environmental justice issue, and it's being wrought in Midtown.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, I have one other kind of like air topic of conversation, but just for our folks in New York, uh, and we'll repeat this again at the end. You know, what what can they do tomorrow? Because um, this will be out uh, before Wednesday morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but what can folks do if they hear this today and they want to go protest BlackRock tomorrow?
0: Yeah. Um, so uh, Code Pink has an event page for this. Um, I believe we can put it in is, the show. We can put it in the show notes. That'd be great. Yeah. So Code Pink has an event page for this, where you can sign right up to come join us. We have a meetup location nearby, um, and we're going to uh, rally and protest during the shareholders meeting itself. Um, Is it it virtual or is it actually going to be in person? So the shareholder meeting itself is virtual, but we know for sure that a bunch of these suits are going to be going into the building to do it via teleconference and uh, their employees, as always, will be walking in the building um, that morning. And so we are going to confront them. We have to be there every year at the shareholders meeting because every year um, they are faced with a choice. They're faced with a choice to actually uh, engage meaningfully with some of the promises That Fink once could make when he was uh, being a little bit bolder uh, or saying the right things, um, and to partially decarbonize the global economy, which is well within their wheelhouse. Uh, This year there are two shareholder resolutions going to a vote, uh, actually, that could engender such a change. The first one is um, basically uh, for BlackRock to uh initiate an, uh, a report on its ability to decarbonize the global economy so to simply say like what are we able to do again it's a low lift <laughs> they have people that are good with numbers they can figure this out the second one is actually uh one that the war is not green at code pink uh wrote and we call it the um war w- we call it the war uh criminals climate report um and uh, essentially what this uh, does is it calls for an impact report on the climate effects of the biggest uh, weapons and defense, quote, um, companies represented by BlackRock uh, in an exchange traded fund called ITA. So that's very wordy, but basically BlackRock Um, offers a platform for investment called ITA. And the top company represented in that is Raytheon. It's followed by Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman, uh, even Smith & Wesson is in there. All of these companies, General Dynamics, like you name them, it's the who's who of uh, war crimes and and civilian killings. War profiteering. Um, War profiteering, yes. And Massive amounts of emissions attributed to the Pentagon uh, once those scope three emissions you know leave the factory, mm. um, and again we're just asking for them to report, to de- to develop a report uh, on what these uh, the impacts of these companies on the climate. Um, part of that greenwashing, if I can get back to that for a second, is if you look up the the profile for this exchange traded fund called ITA. Um, you'll see that there is a little grid that says sustainability characteristics and they're doing their job. They're trying to show us how green they are and how much they care. Um, In that, uh, in those sustainability characteristics, there are metrics provided by Morgan Stanley, which we'll uh, forget about the irony of that for now, but Morgan Stanley says that they get an A rating for ESG. That that means that this is a, 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 a pretty environmental fund and you shouldn't worry about investing in it. Just below that two lines down, you can see uh, the implied temperature rise associated with this fund, and that's a metric that tells you um, basically uh, what uh, what span of degrees temperature rise, uh, uh, all things held constant, this uh, ETF will um, will will produce. Um, it says for that metric, the implied temperature rise for ITA is greater than three degrees. Celsius, and for anyone that doesn't know, that is an apocalyptic level of warming. I mean, we have just—if you—if you're watching the news, reading the news—we've just uh, blown past 1.5, which was our goal from the Paris Agreement, and we are looking right. at climate disasters that are killing. They said
1: of- we're going to blow past 1.5 in the next five years.
0: Right, right. But we've, yeah. we've, uh, yeah. Thank you for that clarification. But it's, yeah. it's upcoming, right? It's, it's all but uh, a, a lost cause. But any amount that we can limit warming is. An innumerable amount of lives saved, and the fact that this is going to contribute to greater than three degrees Celsius is unconscionable. I mean, this is th- th- that's labeling this as a doomsday weapon, essentially. This entire fund. Yeah. I, I mean,
1: you know, we we talk about moving the doomsday clock. They move the doomsday clock closer and closer to midnight or whatever it is, based on the escalating tension between the U.S. and Russia around Ukraine because of nu- a nuclear exchange or something like that. But you know this this issue the climate crisis is like getting well you know is is just like easing us right into that end of the world scenario it or or at least you know cat, cat, cat uh catastrophic you know way of living it's 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 unbelievable and, and that you know biden signs off on fossil fuel projects <laughs> and the republicans don't even think this is real they're doing everything they can to promote
0: fossil fuels it's nuts Right, right. And, you know, I think in many ways, the danger that we're facing, too, is is an issue of narrativizing it, right? Because when you talk about nuclear war, I mean, this is why anti-nuclear and and peace activism, especially when, you know, during the Cold War was such a strong movement and forceful and and affecting some real change, is because the impact of that, um, I think, uh, this is part of the reason, is the impact of that is really immediate. And you can imagine very, very clearly what happened to you your family your city your country when a bomb is dropped but the climate crisis at least thus far has appeared to um, most relatively privileged people on the planet as something that is rather abstract um you know i mean every summer in new york uh, i tell people this is about to be the hottest summer in new york uh, and it's true um but um we 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 have a real issue with helping people to um, imagine the world that's being created, uh, even before we help them to imagine the world as it ought to be.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we suffer from wildfires here every season. And and, you know, even the climate, supposedly climate champion of governor of California, also continues to sign off on fossil fuel permits in, in different parts of the in different parts of the state. Um we're kind of getting towards the end of time. And I have one other sort of area of question mm-hmm. for you, which is um, and I kind of want to talk about this from like both sides, which is, you know, we we have a very in, in many ways we have this sort of vibrant street movement, like and it has many intersections. And I, mm-hmm. I actually feel like the sort of root of it is around around capitalism and the political economy, but you know, we talk about it with Oppression and racial justice. We talk about it with climate, um, and there's a lot of consciousness around those issues and 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 a, and a couple of other really important intersections. But there seems to be a, less of an intersection and less consciousness around issues of war and empire more than there used to be. There used to be this really vibrant, strong anti-authoritarian left, anti-war movement was connected in with you know oppression at home, racial justice issues, as well as environmental issues. And I'm, I'm just kind of wondering. Why do you think there is right now a lack of consciousness around war and empire within a a greater movement like and and it could also just just be my perspective and and feel free to disagree but it's just it is something that we note a lot on on the show is that there's a, a lack of consciousness around particularly empire issues like what the us is doing overseas yeah
0: yeah big question too and no yeah it is a big question i mean I'll think'll'll I'll, I'll speak from my perspective as a as a 25 year old, um, which is, you know, I, I think people have really come to accept militarization as a fact of life uh, and, uh, you know, having seen, you know, for, for a lot of people, at least the timeline, if you're my age, the timeline is like, okay, like we 9 eleven happened, we invaded Iraq, we pulled out of Iraq. now we're out of Afghanistan. Um, and so it, it, it feels because of, of those announcements, if you're really not paying attention, it feels as though oh we're trying to mitigate that engagement overseas, which is simply not true. Um, and I, I again, I think that's for, you know, people that are s- simply reading the headlines and not paying attention to the fact that, my God, we are an anomaly on the world stage, we are the imperialist anomaly um which seeks to extract uh profit resources and bodies from other countries. That is what the United States is. Um, but you know, every year, I mean, we've just, you know, uh, approved an a, a $858 billion Pentagon budget. We're shooting up towards a trillion the coming year. Um, and I, I honestly think, and, and this is I think tied into sort of climate inaction as well, but like I, I think for a lot of people to even begin to take action in this country knowing fully what it's doing around the world and what it represents. Uh, I think is, I mean, I can tell you it's very draining. Uh, It it can be very difficult um, to engage meaningfully and not cynically uh, when faced with that fact. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I and we also know for, for a fact as well that anti-war movements have been intentionally uh, quelled and sabotaged by the government itself across the years, so certainly that's a factor. But in speaking to a general mood, I mean, I think it's really, it's really difficult for a human brain to contain all these catastrophes, all these crimes uh, that our countries behind. And I, I certainly find myself having to compartmentalize a little bit when I'm working <laughs> across uh, that intersection. Um, So, yeah, I mean, it it is really difficult, and, you know, I think to anyone doing this work, uh, it requires a lot of strength, strength that I'm kind of still learning to have, Um, but uh, I think something that's helpful is being really insistent and knowledgeable about what that intersection is, because the Venn diagram is, you know, it's almost like this. I mean, the reason for the climate crisis is the colonialism. The reason for the climate crisis is the extraction, the imperialism, the white supremacy. And that's part and parcel of what militarization from the US government is. So um, I think focusing on that intersection helps me to feel centered. Thank you for that.
1: Um, Folks, you've been listening to Teddy Ogborn with Code Pink, uh, the coordinator of War Is Not Green, the War Is Not Green campaign, uh, also an organizer based in New York City. uh, And you've been listening to the Green and Red podcast. If you like what you hear, uh, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're watching this on YouTube, hit that subscribe button. If you're listening to us on one of the many audio platforms, please rate and review us. It helps us with the algorithm. Uh, and then also, if you like what you're hearing, check us out on Patreon, Patreon at patreon.com backslash greenredpodcast. Or just to make a one-time donation, go to greenredpodcast.org and hit that support button. Teddy, thanks for your time. And thanks for actually all your work that you're doing here. Um, this is like an an important issue which definitely needs to be uh, you know brought up over and over. And I'm glad we were able to bring you to Green and Red today to talk about it.
0: Of course, Scott. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, this has been awesome. And yeah, I of course appreciate this uh, opportunity to to amplify all the work that we're doing. Because um, yeah, I mean, uh, as as we've talked about so much, you know, this 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 fight unfortunately is in so many ways just beginning at this intersection of of militarism and climate. So I really appreciate this opportunity to to uh, to talk with you about it.
1: Absolutely. And everyone else, talk to you again soon and go out and make trouble and misbehave. Uh <laughs> take care. Take care.
0: What is it, oh, absolutely. Listen to me. Oh!